I basically pitched my partners, we're going to make a reality show on entrepreneurship. And that's what we did. We launched August 4th, 2018, Midday Squares here in Montreal, Canada. And the goal was we had a great product with product market fit. And then our marketing strategy was so different because it took from the entertainment world rather than from the traditional CPG marketing world. Brand Growth Heroes is the business podcast for the founders of food, beverage, and other consumer goods brands, and is ranked in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Hello to all our Brand Growth Heroes listeners and wishing you a really successful, happy and wonderful 2023 where all of your business and personal challenges are turned into successes. 2022 was a difficult year for me. I'm sure many of you know that I was diagnosed with breast cancer last August and I have had a difficult 12 weeks going through my first lot of chemotherapy and I've got another 12 weeks ahead of me starting next week, the 11th of January. So I decided I needed a bit of a lift and that Brand Growth Heroes needed to start 2023 with a bang. That is why I am absolutely over the moon to introduce our next guest. This episode of Brand Growth Heroes is supported by Strong Roots. Strong Roots believes food can be better for you and for the planet. Their end goal? To fix the freezer aisle for good. I love Strong Roots for so many reasons, but particularly because their exciting product innovation and inspired branding has revolutionised freezer aisles across the globe in only six years. So this season, with Strong Roots support, Brand Growth Heroes will continue to champion the founders of insurgent brands on their own scale-up journey. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food. Jake Carls of Midday Squares, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you on the show. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Oh, I am fired up. It is morning time here. It's freezing where I live. I live in Montreal, Canada, so I'm across the pond. I'm super excited about this because today we're going to talk about not just business, but like some deep human stuff as well that, that correlate to the journey of entrepreneurship. And I think not too many people talk about that side, so I'm excited. So how are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. I'm okay. I think I said to you on my LinkedIn, lots of the listeners know I was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer at the end of last year. Well, the beginning of the autumn. So I'm halfway through 24 weeks of chemotherapy. I've still got my hair at the moment, but I'm likely to lose it in the next 12 weeks. But I am really, really upbeat today because you agreed to do this. And I am so excited to start off 2023 on a really high note. So I really do appreciate you saying yes to this. So look, for those of our listeners out there who don't know Midday Squares, and guys, if you don't know Midday Squares, I highly recommend you start looking at their TikTok, their Instagram, their website and finding out all about them right now. What is Midday Squares? Describe to us the product, who it's for, where to find it, and then tell us about your journey, how you've built this business to over $13 million. Is it revenue or sales? Revenue dollars. Revenue dollars. I mean, it's just amazing. Tell us all about it. Love it. So yeah, first of all, love your energy. Keep that, never change that momentum and that energy because that's contagious and and humans need that. So that's number one. Number two is Midday Squares. So my name's Jake. I'm one of the co-founders and chief rainmaker of Midday Squares. It's a family business. It's me, my sister, my brother-in-law. Um, we didn't choose to go into business because we're family. I like to say this, but we chose it. We chose each other because as partners, we actually complement each other in terms of skill sets. So we have very different skill sets. 
Midday Squares itself, we created the first functional chocolate bar. Basically, imagine a delicious, indulgent chocolate bar that you have at 2 p.m. that keeps you full, is high in protein, high in fiber, and clean ingredients. So we took the best of the chocolate bar world in terms of indulgence, and then we took the best of the protein bar world in terms of function, and we just had a baby with those two categories. <laughs> that being said, we took away all the stuff that's wrong with the protein bar market, and we took away all the stuff in terms of ingredient decks and, and artificial flavors that's wrong with the chocolate bar market. You know, we started this business um, for two for for a couple of reasons. First off, we're all entrepreneurs. We've been swinging. The three of us have been swinging and missing for the last. 10 to 15 years in terms of entrepreneurship, which is wild, you know, because we failed and, and uh, fail is not a bad word, but we failed in, in multiple businesses. And, and my brother-in-law has had some success in some of his businesses, but this, this came about because my sister was making a chocolate snack for her husband, my brother-in-law, um, as a way to cure, let's call it his garbage eating at 2 PM every day that he was having all this sugary chocolate this refined sugars, this palm oil-based chocolate, which was actually making him crash in that afternoon. Yes, he would get that sweet craving in, but right after he'd have it, he would instantly go into feeling not great. So my sister said, you know, being a foodie, she's like, I can make you something clean with plant-based ingredients, something that will still satisfy your indulgence for sweets, but also give you something to sustain you through that afternoon. And so she made him this snack and for, for years they were eating it as a, as literally just a snack in the house, a home snack. And he would take it to his office. Their, the office loved it. Everyone was loving this product, but my sister was in fashion at the time. She had a fashion company and he was in a software, he had a software company. She ended up closing that business in fashion and he ended up selling out of the software company. And they always wanted to work together as entrepreneurs, as partners in a business. And they were looking for businesses to do. And food was the common thing that they both loved so much. Yet they didn't know that the product they were making every day was going to be the product. So they were making all these other products, trying these different things. That's very funny. Yeah, they tried morning oats that failed. Um, and then my brother-in-law read a report from a, a massive conglomerate here in Canada that showed that dark chocolate, so real chocolate based with cocoa butter, not not the garbage palm oil, stuff like that was growing exponentially. And that actual vegan protein, so plant-based proteins were also growing exponentially at the time. And this is in this is in early 2018, like January, I believe it was. And he he then came out of the shower. He's like, oh my God, you, you, my sister was making a baby of these two massive growth categories. So then he's like, that is the product. We are going to have product market fit. All we need to do is just get the macros to where we need to get them. But the product is something that the market wants and needs. And they decided to go commercialize the product uh, over the next eight months or seven months. And with McGill University here in Canada, their food science program. And then they approached me in, I think it was June or July, 2018. And they're like, hey, we've got this delicious chocolate bar and it's functional. It's high protein, high fiber. The market's going to love it. We need you as the third founder, the third partner to help us launch this business and build the community, build the momentum, the energy, the hype. And I was like to them, I was like, I love you both. You guys are both very great entrepreneurs, but unfortunately the grocery space, the food world, it's, it's a very complex game. It's owned by, you know, 10 to 15 massive conglomerates that have un almost unlimited budgets to spend on, you know, merchandising and store on terms of traditional marketing and whatever marketing they want to spend. So in order to make room for yourself in the grocery store, there's such limited space. I don't think we could do it. Even if we have the best product, it's so hard, the infrastructure, 
the barriers to entry at scale are actually extremely difficult. And I actually rejected them for quite a bit. And then finally, I realized I was able to realize that if we did something different in terms of the approach of relating and building relationship with the consumer, that actually might allow us to stick out in the grocery store rather than just be there and pay for the real estate space. We could actually build people going to the store, trying to find our product. And when they found the product, my goal was to make them feel like they were buying from friends or family. And how we did that was through storytelling. I basically pitched my partners, we're going to make a reality show on entrepreneurship. And that's what we did. We launched August 4th, 2018, Midday Squares here in Montreal, Canada. And the goal was we had a great product with product market fit. And then our marketing strategy was so different because it took from the entertainment world rather than from the traditional CPG marketing world. Okay. And so at what point did the traction start happening then? You had this, as I always say to everyone who does my growth strategy program, you made it an active choice about how your brand was going to show up and you were going to show up with the best of the Kardashians, the best of Shark Tank, and the best of Elon Musk. At what point did the traction start happening? Well, here's the kicker. So I looked when I was pitching them on this, this launch strategy of reality show and entrepreneurship, I really looked at the TV ratings from the Keeping Up the Kardashians and, and they were on fire. And the reason being was consu- people watching that that show were, were fascinated by the drama, the family business, the posh life. And I said, you know, we're a family business. We have drama. We don't necessarily have the posh life, to be honest with you, but we have what the core of drama is from that that people love. Then I looked at Shark Tank and Shark Tank's TV ratings were on a tear as well. And the reason being is because people were so curious about entrepreneurship. They wanted to know more about business. They wanted to see behind the curtain of businesses and Shark Tank was just surface level. It wasn't- The detail, yeah. Curiosity was there. So I was like, why don't we just take the curtain and go really behind showing you know, milestones, breakdowns, therapy sessions, firings, hirings, raising money, legal battles. Gross margin. I mean, you guys even talk about gross margin. Gross margin, which is probably the most important thing. And then the third thing was, I looked at Elon Musk's social media following over such amount of time, and he was growing rapidly. And what I noticed was people wanted to follow him because they became fans of who he is because he's unapologetically himself. So you either dislike him or you love him. And even if it's 50-50, the idea was that that 50% will go do anything for that Tesla brand of his or SpaceX or now Twitter, um, where I was like, why don't we show our characters because we're three different characters and we can each relate to somebody. And that's when I said to them, reality show on entrepreneurship and the traction started coming because people are like, what is this brand? Like, what are they showing? They're showing all this crazy things that we never see in a corporation. Is this for real? Is this authentic? Is this, you know, just the theater? And then they would try this product. So they would see the stuff on social media. They would get curious to try the product. Then they would try the product and they would it would reinforce how much care and love was put into such an innovation because it's a chocolate bar, but it's a double stack layer. It's truly innovative. We actually built our own manufacturing to support this innovation at scale. And then they would be like, wow, I love the product. The brand is very weird and fun. I'm going to keep watching. And because we built the storytelling to be about the journey and bring the customer on the journey with us, they feel those emotions. So when you feel those emotions, you want to be part of it more and more and more. So the traction started coming and it was all online at first. And then next thing you know, we had a small retailer reach out to us and be like, we want to stock your product. Then people would run to the retailer, buy the product. 
then it would create this more hype, this loop of hype and energy and momentum. And then next thing you know, we're, we're getting knocked on by all these retailers. We started opening them. We had to go build out a manufacturing plant. We had to keep telling the story. We had cameras rolling 24-7 still to this day. I think we have 60,000 videos of every moment that has happened for the last four and a half years. And it's been a tough journey though. So there's been great moments, but it's it's ups and downs and it's not always flowers. And that's what we try to show to the consumers. There is real pain and misery and loneliness on this journey. And it is really fucking hard, excuse my language, to build a scaled CPG company today. And I don't want to discourage people, but it's high barriers to infrastructure. The problem is, is distribution, sales execution and manufacturing are not easy. No. And everyone listening to this show knows that because they're all in the business, either in kind of really big CPG as brand managers or even marketing directors or scaling their own businesses. And that's why they're listening, because they want to know what are they getting wrong or how to get it right. And they also want some reassurance that even people like you guys get it wrong. There's a couple of things that strike me, right? One of the things is, is that everybody out there trying to scale a food or beverage or CPG brand thinks, if I go on Instagram or TikTok and get some engagement, that's the way to do it. Your brother-in-law said, if you're making the average decision or if you're making the decision that's kind of average, which is basically, let's go on to, let's get some engagement in verticomas. We'll do that through Instagram and TikTok and we'll do it in slightly average ways. We'll do it in a way that looks like best practice. And then they wonder why they're not getting anywhere. And when I started getting into your reality TV show through all of your different channels, I realized that actually I haven't been fair to the people I've been teaching, neither in the university that I teach in, right, business school I teach in, nor to the people on the growth strategy program. Because the best cases that I've called out are not good enough. What you guys are doing is so far above what everybody else is doing. The gap is so big that everybody needs to take stock and say, hang on a second. What I thought was going to help me drive engagement isn't anymore. And the difference is, is that you guys have made this active decision on how to show up online and on your podcast. So through all of the different channels. And it is this reality TV show. So it's like one big platform, one big theme. And you put all your investment against it. You put all your time against it. You put your expertise against it, right? You build up the resources around it. Nobody that I'm teaching, right, is doing that. They're doing it in a very, very small way. And it just doesn't cut it anymore, right? Yeah. And I think you're so right. I think I think we, we think that posting a post is good because we posted it. We think that creating content for the sake of content is good because it's content. I think what people are missing is storytelling is an art. It is a science, actually, even. I think it's both art and science. Sure. Yeah, it is. There is a real way that psychology has affected consumer psychology or or fandom is built through storytelling. And if you're just going to do it and hire someone to just get shit done, it ain't going to work. It doesn't work. It's not 15 years ago when social media just came and you'll get all these views because you're new to it. I think what's happened today is storytelling is becoming the for, the front runner of all marketing. So if you become a great storyteller and a creator, you actually have a real chance at getting the attention of people. Attention is probably the most valuable and most scarce um, asset today, I believe. I think, you know, if you look at the world, you know, we have billions of pieces of content being shared daily right now. We have new platforms arising every couple of months. And we don't have a shortage of information out there or platforms. We have a shortage of truly amazing content. We have a shortage of people putting real love, care, effort, time, energy, and skill into the content they create. 
So when you want to break through this attention barrier, this attention economy, the only way to actually do it is to tell great fucking stories. And excuse my language, I say that because a story needs to be great to break through and capture the attention. So for us, we don't just put out random stuff. We put out well-thoughtful things or stories that come out that will be relevant to adding value to our consumer's life, whether that be an emotion. An emotion can be valuable. You want to make someone feel happy? You can do that. You want to make someone feel inspired? You can do that. You want to make someone feel angry? You can do that. Sad? You can do that. These are value-added things. Or teach them something. But if you're going to teach something, entertain. Exactly. Give them something to want to stay with you on this platform or on your content. Our goal when we're trying to reach our content, our ads and everything is to not sell you the product. It's to actually bring you down a rabbit hole so that you start to watch one piece of content. You're like, well, what is this brand? It's so interesting. Then you watch another. Then you watch, listen to our podcast. Then you go on our TikTok. Then next thing you know, you spent hours through our content and you've now fallen in love with the brand. That was me over the last few days. You're a real life example. I am. It works. So I always tell people, if you're going to tell a story, you need three things. You need something to tell. You need to be authentic. And I don't mean that in a buzzword format. Do not, people use that as a buzzword today. Being authentic is hot. It's cool. No, be yourself. Because when you are yourself, you are going to create a sense of relatability with people. Because when you are yourself, you are human. You are naturally in your best version. What if you're an asshole? Yeah. What if you're an asshole? Then, then, then fuck you. <laughs> no, but I, an asshole doesn't relate. Maybe it relates to a certain group and not, not everyone. And then and the third thing is, is like you said, what my brother-in-law said, if you're going to make average decisions and put it into an input, and this concludes with building content with your marketing strategy, then you're going to get an average output. That's statistics. That is actually statistical relevance. If you decide to take unaverage decisions and put it into the input every single time it's an unaverage decision, your output will statistically be an unaverage output, an outlier output, meaning it will either be good or bad, not in the middle. But at least if it's bad, you'll at least learn something. If it's great, you will build your fandom. The last thing is focus less on building a customer base. Focus more on building fandom. Study the best sports teams. Study the best TV shows. Study the best artists in the world. They have done the best in terms of building a fan base that will go to war for them. CPG brands need to figure this out because you are technically going to war with the amount of space you have in the grocery store and with the amount of attention you can get from the consumer. You know, it's funny when I think back to my time at Chobani back from 2010 to 2013, they were really mastering Facebook and Instagram had just started and they'd got all of the groundswell of engagement of people posting their product. And lots of these brands are still doing similar things. I'm not saying Giovanni's only doing that, but lots of these brands are still thinking in the same way. Nestle thinks that way. Let's just post a picture and let's try and get an agency to do a reel. You guys don't get agencies to do a reel or some kind of Fiverr contractors in Poland to do your social media plan for the month. This is like a big focus point for building capability and putting investment into in your business. One of the things I wanted to ask you was if you had to divide the focus points in your business into areas. So obviously you've got your own manufacturing, right? And you've had to become masters at that. Then you've got to become masters at sales and distribution because these two things are hygiene factors nowadays in food and bev, in all CPG. And then the new thing is you've got to become masters at storytelling. You also have to become masters at understanding what works and what doesn't and how to measure the results of that, right? 
Yeah, I think you said it correct. There's three pillars. There's media and storytelling being this an entire internal company that has to deal with that. Then you have the manufacturing, which has been the most complex part. So building a, an innovation that that a manufacturing plant that a line has never existed has been the most complex thing and actually has not allowed us to grow as fast as we want because of the capabilities, the quality assurance, all the problems that come with that. So that's been a thing, but that again, correlates back to the story because the story gets a lot of drama from that, right? And the third thing is, is which we're, I think we're not great at yet is sales execution. I think we haven't found our way into understanding retail at its highest level in terms of how to get the product, merchandise it. We are a refrigerated product. A refrigerated bar is a new type of category. So convincing retailers to understand where to place it has been absolutely a hellhole for us. That being said, um, you know, we have three different businesses and we're trying to optimize all three. And my only fear in this world, my only fear, and it's okay if this all fails, by the way, it, it, it's totally okay. And I say that, you know, not, not thinking that it's going to fail, but being okay with it mentally is that we're juggling too many things and it's almost impossible or haven't, hasn't been done in my opinion from a new age company to have all three pillars optimized. So internal agency within your company. So you being the internal creative agency, you being your internal manufacturing, building the entire vertical integration one day, hopefully. And then the third thing is understanding how to win CPG traditionally through the infrastructures of sales and distribution. So once those, that's what fears is the juggling of all that with the amount of resources that we currently have as an organization. It's just going to come down to having a really, really strong leader at the top of that commercial I think, is it Leslie who does the manufacturing side and you do the internal agency and the creative and the comms side? What does your brother-in-law do? He's ops, so he's data-driven and he he runs a lot of the the manufacturing side as well as the actual, um, he does all of our e-com side, he does all of the finance. So the one thing that's missing is we had a, we had leaders in, 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 in sales, but we've actually changed that um that 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 team recently and we've taken over in the interim to understand it and run everything by data and that's right but that's how it's done in retail it wasn't done previous for our company so we we had a very strong brand we have a very strong brand that can pull um in terms of you know it can pull the awareness the customer but you know we need a great bottoms up strategy in sales and a great team that we're starting to build out now but that's the last piece i believe to unlocking midday squares full potential and then just getting a coo in place which was the last position that we need to film so running the plant and running the actual um you know op side of manufacturing you're going to be inundated with CVs from this side of the pond right now. As long as they're willing to move to Montreal, which a lot of people hopefully from France will because they speak French, but we're looking. I speak French. I love it. Je parle français bien, tabarnak, mais Québec, in Québec. Oui, mais c'est très difficile de comprendre ton accent, ça c'est vrai, hein? Oh yeah, there you go. Woo! Okay, so look, there's so much to unpick here and I could talk to you all day, but I know that your time is really, really valuable and precious because you guys work, what, 18 hour days? We work a lot, but, you know, I think I, I think that, you know, we've done this, we've been going four and a half years and, um, you know, it, it, it's tiring. It's a tiring journey. Yeah, it must be. It's beautiful at times. Um, but no, we used to do like crazy 18 hour days. Now we go hard from like 6 a.m. to like 7, 6, 7, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I would say. And then after that, you know, we try to rest. Strong Roots, one of my favorite food and beverage brands, has been our sponsor for the last seven months. And I want to thank them from the bottom of my heart for being the most wonderful partner 
I am so glad that you are as happy as I am with the results of our partnership, with the engagement that we've had from the food and beverage community in the UK, and with the fabulous results of our joint competition for two places on the Growth Strategy Programme. You've been an amazing partner. Thank you so much. Talk to me about people. How many people are on your team now? I think we're 60, 61, I think. I mean, that is massive. You're still 29, are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're just 29. You are Forbes 30 under 30. Congratulations. You recently got engaged. Yeah. Last month. Last month. Congratulations. Your fiance looks absolutely beautiful. And I'm so glad for both of you that you have seemed to have found this best friend, supportive relationship that we all strive for and wish for, but not many of us find. So that is just a beautiful thing. And it seems that your sister and brother-in-law have the same. So you're very lucky people. And I know you know that. Talk to me about managing 61 people, about how you guys manage them, but then also manage yourselves and manage your personal life. I think you guys have a therapist between the three of you, and then there's therapists between two of you and then individual. And then how does your wife to be feel about you working this hard? Talk to me about all of that stuff. So therapy has been the answer um, for, for a lot of these, a, a tool, and I actually have a session with him today, an individual session with him, Dr. James Gavin, today at later this afternoon um, regarding an is- a personal life issue um, that still is leaking into my my professional, actually, life. So I think the key to this whole thing was therapy. Therapy has been, you know, we go minimum once a week uh, together as partners, so the three of us, to make sure that our partnership remains extremely strong and and and, and extremely as we grow as leaders, we get better, better at communicating, we get better at understanding each other and we, we stay aligned. And then the second part of that therapy is, is making sure that we still stay as family, as close as we are as family, because that is really important to us. So that's on the therapy side. And then the second thing is this personal life, you know, I think once you sign off in entrepreneurship, you make a deal with, you know, whatever you sacrifice that you are giving up a lot of things in your life to try to make your vision come true um, on what you believe is that dream or vision. You see it so clearly, but a lot of people around you don't, they don't understand. So a lot of time I feel personally misunderstood, lonely, you know, at times very depressed, um, which I've never felt before, before this journey. And the reason why I feel that is because, you know, I feel like I go from the highest highs of the world, like getting the, the, the craziest things that happened to me to then hitting very lows. And for me, I'm still not, I still have not, perf- I still have not made this um, a successful flow yet, but I'm working on understanding that, you know, it's ups and downs, but just swimming with it is how you have to do it. You know, you can't go from peak to peak on the mountain and chasing that is what will kill your expectations. So, you know, I've worked with my therapist to understand how I swim with the, with the, the down, the down days and come back up and start climbing and how I don't stay in the negative momentum spiral and how I keep the momentum in, in terms of direction and tension, even if things are going bad in positivity. And I think that therapy has been the only reason why I'm here today right now in terms of you know still in business and still trying entrepreneurship. And my personal life has had deep effects. You know, my, my fiance, our soon to be wife, she's been with me for the four and a half years of this journey. And she's seen the good, the bad, the ugly of myself my lowest moments of my life, my highest moments, my ego going from all kinds of different things, um, you know, and she stood by my side, you know, through thick and thin. And I think that that's really important as an entrepreneur to have that partner, uh, best friend or partner, or whatever or support system that can be there. That being said, I think I've been selfish in the sense of, you know, it's been the Jake Carl show 
last four and a half years and, and not purposely, but you know, she's, she's climbed along and, and, and committed to it. She's happily committed to it, you know, you know, voluntarily. Um, but again, you know, knowing that it's just been the Jay Carl show in my head is I try to figure out how I can make it more her show, um, more often. And, and it's been difficult. It's been difficult finding how to do that. You know, when I go for dinners, people come up to us, talk about business. I don't want to promote the brand always and, and, and build, you know, opportunities, but, you know, slowing that down is really important because when I'm sitting there and I'm not present, that is dangerous. That's a dangerous game you're playing. You could lose the people around you that really matter. And my sister, my brother-in-law, their marriage almost, their marriage was almost costed in the second year of the business because the stress was so high. The pressure cooker was so high. They started to fight with each other very deeply. And then they went through deep therapy multiple times a week. I think it was like three to five times a week at one point. And they climbed out of it, but they built tools to protect against it, how to work through it. And yeah, I just think the journey is is not as glamorous as, you know, you build your business, sell it for a hundred million dollars or $500 million or a billion yeah. or 10 million. And, you know, life's great. You know, you, 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 you give up a lot. You have to be all in, don't you? You really do. And I think having age on your side helps. In one of your latest podcasts, Nick, your brother-in-law and Leslie were saying that they've frozen their eggs. They chose to do that. That's a really big thing. And to be able to make that decision because you've got time on your side, having personally done IVF at the age of 40, 41, 42, I was already in a situation where time wasn't on my side. Whereas for Nick and Leslie, it still is. These are really big decisions. But for those entrepreneurs listening to the show, I suppose I always want to say to them, don't get into food and drink. Don't build a food and drink brand unless you're willing to make these sacrifices. And I think having met you guys virtually, you hadn't met me, but I had been submersing myself or submerging myself in your world. I realized, like I said earlier, I haven't been fair because I haven't really said this is how much you need to be ready to invest to get the cut through that the big guys are getting. Personally invest in terms of time, in terms of energy, in terms of emotion, in terms of your relationships. Yeah. And you you give up like, like, like even like the basis of like, you know, I'm always thinking, how can I get better? How can I improve? How can I learn? I think once I've entered this journey, I'm stuck on this growth curve where I'm obsessed with growing as an individual or as a as a business leader. And what that means is I, I consume my time with with more of like books, more of learning. I always want to I always want to learn whether I'm doing something, trying new things, which has been a great win for me in life. But that's also taken away a lot of time from you know, things I used to do, like, you know, hang out with my childhood friends. I'm not saying that the childhood friends stay with you forever because they don't, and a lot of them don't, to be honest with you. And you move on from different chapters. But I've also, you know, noticed that, you know, sometimes like, you know, when you do something really cool and you expect, you know, the support from people around you that matter and you're doing something big and you're getting all this, this spotlight and within, you know, realm of whatever spotlight you that means to you, Sometimes people won't even say anything to you. They won't want to be, it's a weird dynamic entrepreneurship. It's also like, I'm telling you, like you look at all the leaders out there, they have a common ground of, you know, they give everything to, to it. They, they, they sacrifice a lot. They're personalized. A lot of them are fucked up, unfortunately. Um, and they truly just see a vision and that is everything to them. And I think that we see a vision of building the next Hershey's in terms of the better for you chocolate space, not the chocolate that they make. And that's what we want to build in terms of size impact is we want to be that next version, but with a modern, 
modern view and a modern consumer and cultural relevance and you know authenticity um and it seems to be impossible and all all odds seem to be stacked against us but for us we're trekking there um you know day by day and it could take us 50 years um but we're okay with that and um that's the journey we've accepted and and i hope that we we we, make, we the three of us at least as entrepreneurs make it out uh, it's better humans after I, and i don't know i can't guarantee you because it is a fucked up journey where you know momentum swings you know emotions go crazy you experience betrayal extortion legal you see the world in a very ugly place but you also see the beauty of of team a beauty of people a beauty of 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 what you can actually accomplish as a human and the impact you could actually make for the better of the world and i don't say it in a cheesy way i say it truthfully um you know whether you're inspiring people to do things or you're creating better for you stuff um and the last thing i could say is don't go into food and beverage if you want to make money quick it is not the industry to make money quick it is a long game that i think the media has portrayed as it possible to be a short game of 3 years in and out um that is not true um at least for most cases you know the odd one does happen but this is a long game that will take deep pain and time and energy and pressure to get to where you want to believe you can get but once you get there you are you have the world is your oyster at that level I've got some quick fire questions for you at the end because I know we're going to run out of time soon but I don't want to leave without getting some answers on these things. When you put together your videos for whatever channel that's going to be, how do you measure the results commercially in terms of sales? So we don't even look at it like that. So what's funny is we we actually just put out content that we like as if we enjoy watching and that's what we put out. We've worked on understanding how it works in terms of growth and the type of content we put out for example on TikTok, we know it's going to get the 100 plus thousand views organically up to 10 million because of the way that we do the storytelling. So that we can't really tell you it turns to sales, but then we look at our numbers at Target and they're up. So the content naturally builds the awareness for the brand and the fandom which then eventually turns into sales over time or people like a fan will go home to their dinner table even if they've not tried the product they do have you seen this brand then when they try it they'll be like oh my god it's so good i want to bring it to my dinner table i'm going to buy 10 and then share it with the customers share it with their family members or friends so that's what we're focused on building with all of our content okay fabulous so you're not like constantly obsessed with this holy grail of being able to measure it for every pound i put in here this is where i can see it end up you just building the awareness building the brand in people's hearts and minds and hopefully stomachs and you can see that in parallel through your sales figures oh yeah there's no doubt in my mind that 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 our content is the only our content and product market for the only two reasons why we're seeing growth how do you make sure that you continue to keep up with your consumer's relationship with the product not just the brand but the product i mean i'm talking making sure that you are feeling what they're saying about it and how is that translating into repeat purchase or not so delivering a great innovative product is number 1 um and actually listen to the feedback that comes in you know being at a transparent and authentic brand that you create content that actually is relevant fans and consumers feel the right and the want to tell you if something's wrong if something's off about the product because you have a two-way relationship so building that through the storytelling through us sending video messages voice notes to our consumers to actually engage with them and not just writing copy paste messages we get a two-way feedback loop which is great so we learned to improve when we launch a new flavor yes we look at the data from the overall data from syndicate data from all the world and the grocery industry and stuff like that but a lot of it comes from 
our base telling us what they truly want and how they want it. So I think that that's how you understand your consumer from a product standpoint. I think, um, again, our consumer is a lot of different types of people. Um, a lot of them are gravitating towards the fact that they're all cho- they're chocolate lovers, but also to the fact that they're they love the boldness that that we 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 shoot out in the world because it makes them feel more bold, a little bit more bold every day. So that is what we're trying to accomplish: is show everybody you could win in life, whatever you're doing, whether you're a pilot, you work at a movie cinema, you have your own business, you're in a consultant, you own a chocolate company. If you are unapologetically yourself every day, because again, I said it earlier in the podcast, if you are truly yourself, you are giving yourself your best superpower. That is your best superpower that no one in the world has but you. That is your best version and gives you your best chance at winning. So if we could show that we could build the next Hershey's in terms of the better for you chocolate space in functional products by being ourselves and not following the society box or the quotes of society, then we have inspired a whole new group of people to go out there and fight their fight on whatever that means. Yeah, no, that's absolutely brilliant. We haven't been through a lot of the kind of nitty gritty ins and outs of all of the different campaigns that you guys or the big pushes that have driven forward different stages of your business. And that's a shame, but we've talked about loads of amazing things. But just to kind of pepper the conversation with things like you hand delivered samples, 25 cent samples to all of your customers locally. And you did kind of a Polaroid photo that was personally signed. And then what is all the other stuff that you guys have done over the years? I suppose my question is, what have the big pushes been, the big things that have made the big differences? Definitely the personalization has made difference in terms of fandom building. Um, so we still uh, handwrite personal Polaroid pictures. My mom does it um, at, for our first orders with customers. We send videos to our customers on social media in response to what they respond to us. So if they engage with our brand, I will spend an hour today. I'll spend about two hours doing it actually because it's Friday, but two hours sending custom videos saying thank you and personalized stuff about them that I appreciate because that actually creates the real bond. And again, it takes away the corporation transaction. And then things just like building retail relationships. Like I actually focus my attention every day on building the network of midday squares. My real role is is called a rainmaking role. So what I do is I focus on building relationships for the brand. So what that means is whether that's investors, potential investors, journalists, potential journalists, um, retailers, potential retailers, buyers, managers, new team members, I am continuously focused on networking by building actual friendships first. So I will get on a plane, go to New York to meet somebody for dinner and then come home, do it, not even talk about the business, but just to work and become friends with them. And then if business happens after that, great. So I focus on that 24 seven of my time actually. And what that does is it creates these real relationships that last and I water them like a plant. And eventually when my, my, my sales team says to me, Hey, we need a, um, we need our, we need a buyer at target to talk to. I've already become best friends with them. So when when I want to talk to them, I say, hey guys, can you can I introduce you to my sales team? They are super warm about it. They want to open hug and do it, you know? So this strategy is a long game. It takes time. You need to get on planes. You need to show up in people's homes. You need to go to places and actually put yourself in uncomfortable zones. That is what makes a difference. That is what makes a difference alongside a great innovative product and alongside a great story that continues to be told. And some incredible brains, because one of the things that struck me was the three of you, you are so articulate, so bright. And the other thing you do, which is something that I do, and it's why I built the growth strategy program, is you try to systemize all of your thinking. 
you talk about inputs and outputs earlier. I wreck the head of everybody on my program because I'm constantly going inputs, machine transformation, outputs. You know, that's what your strategy is. It's machine transformation at the end. But you've got to have the right inputs. So there aren't a lot of entrepreneurs out there who have been lucky enough to have maybe the smarts that you guys have, the way of thinking that you guys have, as well as all that energy. So it's not just the great product and the storytelling. I have to say it's a lot down to the three of you as well, because I do meet a lot of entrepreneurs and I'm blown away. And as I said, starstruck by all three of you. And I would say a big hello to Leslie and Nick. I haven't met you, but I'm a massive fan. (laughs) We're going to make that happen. I would really love that. I'd love to have you guys all on the show or just even say hello and let's talk about retail. One last question, which is, can we buy midday squares in the UK or Ireland? So we cannot yet. That being said, we are not trying to be just a North American brand. We are actually trying to be a world brand, a global brand. And after the United States, I believe that we're coming to the UK and Ireland. So um, that being said, We're just trying to figure out a logistics way to do it because shipping refrigerated chocolate is very difficult. So, you know, we're trying to figure out how we get that across the pond properly. Um, Or do we manufacture out in Europe um, and, and then start distributing from there? I know someone you could talk to. So the sponsor of this show is Strong Roots. And I'm very close to Samuel Dennigan, who is the founder of that brand. He ships it the other way, frozen, and has built the manufacturing in the USA. But he knows so much about manufacturing in Europe and so much about getting across the pond, chilled and frozen. You can just substitute one for the other. I'll introduce you. Please, please. That would be awesome. He'd love to speak to you. Yeah, we, we want to be a worldwide brand. So just for anyone that's listening from the UK and Ireland, follow us on social. The time will come when we do come to you and we're going to come in really big. We're not going to come in small when we come. And it's going to be a shorter time than you think. And um, our eyes are on the UK because um, from a Google search standpoint and social media on TikTok and and following that area of the world is building um, of interest for us. So, um, yeah, otherwise, if you're in North America, you know, Target, you know, Walmart Canada has it, Target. And then our website, Amazon and on our website, we sell it. So, um, yeah. And just appreciate you taking the time to have me on the show and and engage in your positive energy is contagious. And thanks. Anyone's out there, be yourself every day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jake, for coming on the show. Massive fan. Everybody get on there and follow them on LinkedIn, TikTok and Instagram. And if you've got any family or friends in the States who can send you some product or Canada, then do it. I'm looking forward to my product because I'm sure you can send at least one person a box. Yes, I can. (laughs) Send Send that address. I will. Jake, loads of love to the three of you. I'm looking forward to meeting you again. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food. 